This is what you give me to work with. Well, honey, I've seen worse. We're gonna turn this sow's ear into a silk purse. It's freezing. It would have been warm if you were here on time. We'll have you washed and dried, trimmed and polished till you glow with pride. Just my recipe for instant pride. You'll bring honor to us all. Hold on, what's this? Uh, notes, in case I forget something. Hold this. We'll need more luck than I thought. Wait and see when we're through. Boys will gladly go to war for you. With good fortune and a great hairdo, you'll bring honor to us all. A girl can bring her family great honor in one way. By striking a good match, and this could be the day. Men want girls with good taste, oh. obedient, who work fast-paced, with good breeding, the tiny weight. You'll bring honor to us all. We all must serve our emperor who guides us from the ones. A man by bearing arms, a girl by bearing sons. When we're through, when we're through, like we're through, like a veil, 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 you must proudly show it. Now add a cricket just for luck. And even you can't blow it. Ancestors, hear my plea. Help me not to make a fool of me. And to not uproot my family tree. Keep my father standing tall. Scarier than the undertaker. We are meeting our matchmaker. Yes, we be. Guard our girls. Come our future as fast on girls. Each look kindly on his cultured girls. Each a perfect force with God. Please bring honor to us. 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 Bring honor to us Hello! Welcome back. It's been a little while, but we're here. We're still we're here. We're still alive. That's still living thing. that life, yes. <laughs> oh my god. That, that it was quite a clip. Yeah, um, blast from the past, first of all. Yeah, so in case you guys haven't recognized this, this comes from Mulan. Yes, 1998 Disney animated classic, and we are focusing on this this week because the new Mulan is releasing on Disney Plus on September 4th, so... crazy. I wonder how they've adapted it and if it's going to be, you know... Yeah. Things that were acceptable in 1998 may not be acceptable anymore. Well, I know that there's been some, like, significant changes to the storyline... 
I don't know a whole lot about it, but apparently um, one of the things is that this story is inspired by the 98 animated version, but also follows a bit more of the traditional uh, Mulan epic from Chinese tradition. That can be really interesting. Yeah, it might be, you know, a way of, for Disney to redeem itself in a way. Yeah, I'm very curious, especially because I personally have not been the biggest fan of a lot of the live action remakes that have been... Yeah, I, I admit I haven't watched any, so I can't comment. I know that wasn't wasn't the, the Sleeping Beauty with Emma Watson. That was Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. yeah. And then they've done Jungle Book. They've done Cinderella. They're doing now Mulan. I th- oh, they started working on The Little Mermaid, but I don't know what the status is of that due to the pandemic. Yeah. So, yeah, mm. it's very curious, especially because the original Mulan, Disney-wise, the 98 Mulan, is for its time, I think, done rather well. Yeah. I mean, it definitely still has issues. I'm not saying that it's perfect. But, like, a fun fact was that rather than being G, so just Guardian, and the American rating system, like all the other Disney films, this one was actually very close to being rated PG, so parental Mm -hmm. guidance, because the term cross-dressing is used in the film. Which is interesting, because if you watch the film, you barely... There's that one scene where this happens and you can barely, like, you can easily go past it without really noticing it. I don't remember as a child. I noticed it now because obviously I'm 24. But, like, as a child, I didn't remember this at all. Yeah, no, so I recently, I just rewatched Mulan last night for the first time in years. And... I picked up on a lot more of the those like adult things, which we've kind of talked about when we talked about Sleeping Beauty. Um, we talked yeah. about the Hunchback and Notre Dame briefly when we had Nick on. Yeah, it's so like cross-dressing and actually just that entire scene with the ancestors. Yeah. It's a fun scene. And, you know, the allusion to the American Gothic image with the pitchfork and everything, which now is an art history. I was like, that's Wood's image. <laughs> Oh. I found I found this scene. I mean, I know as a child I used to laugh at this, but the scene where like the little dragon keep, gets the head, and then he just like carries it and pretends to be the old. I just find that really funny. Like, oh yeah, uh, Mushu, which the name Mushu. So honestly, don't know a lot about Chinese culture, Chinese tradition. Um, either, so <laughs> apologies if we make any yeah. mistakes. I, you know, studied it briefly in school and we did like world cultures, ancient cultures. My elementary school and middle school celebrated Chinese New Year each year, which was, did study like for that day, the Zodiac and things like that. But looking back, you know, it's still quite very superficial. Yeah. But in researching for today, you know, I looked into the name of Mushu and kind of what that meant. Because I've you know, heard of Mushu in like Chinese cuisine, like Mushu mm-hmm. pork. Uh, which I don't know if it's related to that, but in my, my research, I came across that. I don't know if this is where the inspiration for Disney came or not, but I think it's quite interesting. So Mushu's name could be understood to be inspired by Mushusu, 
or Mushkushu, which means reddish serpent, mm. and was a creature of Babylonian mythology. Oh. Yeah, so it's a sacred animal belonging to the god Marduk and his son Nabu. Mushushu was known as a scaly animal with hind legs resembling the talons of an eagle, lion-like forelimbs, a long neck and tail, a horned head, a snake-like tongue, and a crest. It most famously appears on the reconstructed Ishtar Gate in the city of Babylon, dating to the 6th century BCE. So I don't, again, I don't know if that was the intention, but I think that is quite a fun fact to think applies. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's really interesting as well, because like, obviously, like five, six-year-old kids will not know, or may not, may not have known anything about, you know, China, Chinese culture. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting to, to to kind of see what what they choose to represent and what they choose to like you know pick to kind of see as part of the story and what's right like what yeah. they present to get across this yeah, idea right. of you know Chinese ness yeah exactly um, and that's quite interesting because obviously as a depiction I mean I don't mm-hmm. know much about Chinese culture but it wasn't too offensive yeah I mean it's still very westernized very americanized That's for sure but um like the opening scene with the calligraphy and the yeah. brush strokes that was actually created by them painting on rice paper which is part of an aspect of the calligraphic tradition yeah. in china and i believe japan i could be wrong with that I'm no sorry. no no that i think that is <laughs> i think from, 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 from what i remember from going there yeah that is part of it and also calligraphy in japan at least and i can imagine it's the same in china is very important part of the culture so like I mean it's you know we had language classes and I'm really bad at writing so those letters are called kanjis Mm -hmm. and I'm really terrible at doing that but there's a whole technique and there's a whole like philosophy behind how you write it and what it means and you know that kind of thing and it's quite elegant and complicated so it's it's interesting that they depicted that as well. Yeah well and then if I'm not wrong I believe when you write they're called pictograms, right? For calligraphy, because they look like images. You have to draw them in a certain order. There's an order of the strokes. And if Mm -hmm. you don't do it that way, then it's wrong. And it's interesting how they can notice that you've written it the wrong way. Like it was very impressive. I remember like I'm left-handed. So Mm -hmm. for me, lots of things have a different way of doing things. Mm-hmm. and like it would be interesting to see how I would do it and then they'd be like no <laughs> and it'd be the same, maybe you know obviously I'm not that skilled so that also doesn't help but like it was interesting to see how you know important it is and yeah definitely yeah because yeah at least in like the latinized script it really doesn't matter yeah. as long as it looks like the shape it's supposed to be yeah I mean there are tricks to make it faster and easier and flow like you know for cursive and everything but yeah so I thought that opening was really I mean it's just beautiful also I agree I agree and it's nice I feel like if you're five Mm -hmm. you may not all of the innuendos on that you might not understand that but you have a visual more of a visual impact to things and so that kind of thing you might find really fascinating and so it's kind of cool that they've done that yeah, and then there's also musically, like so orally in the the film, traditional instruments and sounds that we associate with non-European, so Asiatic sounds, mm-hmm. which just adds to the atmosphere and everything. And then speaking of 
you know, not picking up as a child. So the famous song from Mulan, well, actually, I think every song in Mulan is like very famous and loved. But um, the Reflection song is a really curious one because, you know, as a child, it's like good and kind of moody and whatnot. But now it's really been kind of seen in a way as a song about, you know, it is about identity and everything, but how that can also apply to like gender presentation politics. So, I mean, Mulan is a story about a cross-dressing woman presenting herself as a man. This is very different than transgender. This is not a transgender narrative, which some people confuse that with, and that's just not true. (laughs) That's Yeah. If it were a transgender story, Mm -hmm. um, then the narrative would be all wrong. Right, and not to strip this film of those who identify as transgender and identify with this film in that way. But if for myself as a cis bisexual identifying human being, if I were to go, this is a transgender, you know, animated film, that's not true. I mean, it's not conveying the things that it should convey. Right. Right. But so, but as a child, you know, the whole idea of the, of Mulan dressing up as a soldier and identifying as Ping. So Hua Ping, which is funny because when you translate uh, Hua Ping, that, so Mulan means magnolia or flower. How pretty. I know. So that's why you see lots of magnolia yeah. symbolism in the film. Also the magnolia is when she leaves, when there's that, um, the comb. Oh yeah. Yeah. That comb? And magnolias are very symbolic just in China. Uh, Chinese tradition right but yeah so Ping the name that she identifies or uses as her male name mm-hmm. uh, when you put Hua Ping together it means flower pot oh that's so cute Sorry. which <laughs> is really fun kind of problematically but apparently according to my research flower pot is a term used for like um, effeminate people both male and female oh. so kind of interesting that choice but I think there's also something there with the idea of like a vessel holding something and the relationship for Mulan in this film with that yeah but um kind of similar thing right where like if you don't really especially when you're an adolescent I think if you're a female identifying human mm -hmm. there's this whole thing of like what does it actually mean to be female and like Mm -hmm. how do you build this identity and you know I think especially when we were growing up, I don't know if you had this experience, but like there was a certain push I felt to be more girly and I wasn't particularly girly. And this was something that, you know, you know, Milan as well. She I mean, she's not really like all the other girls. And so this kind of battle between having to identify with this girly behave in such a way, or you have to like makeup, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Which obviously, you know, you'd hope now is no longer the case, but it's interesting that they play with this dynamic and they portray it as well. Right. Well, I mean, the opening clip that we played is directly about this and how yeah. the young women are going to the matchmaker and have to yeah. present certain values. They're in the traditional makeup with the white face, the red lips, yeah. dresses that emphasize the silhouette and this presentation of femininity. Yeah. And then also the values that, you know, the female elders are telling Mulan where, you know, she has to be a certain way. She has to, in order for the honor of the family to. Right. And that kind of thing. And it's interesting because also like if you 
think about it, it's really a coming of age scene, right? Where you're like, this is what is expected of you, but you're not like that. So what do you do? How do you form your identity? Like, how do you go from one thing to the next? What, who are you in the midst of this? And it's interesting that they portrayed this, I find. I, as myself as well. And so for those of you who maybe don't know like the time period that Mulan takes place. So Mulan is definitely medieval. It's early medieval. When we think about medieval time periods and everything. So traditionally Mulan's life is placed in the Northern Way period. However, details of her story were added throughout time. She's around the uh, 5th, 6th century in China. Uh, sometimes also 4th, 5th. It's kind of hard to identify exactly when. But it, it, she did emerge as a heroine during the time of invasions from uh, nomadic groups. So in this film, they're portrayed as the Huns. However, there's also, considering like the setting of the film, they can be identified. So Shan Yu and his Huns could be members of the Xiongu people, mm-hmm. a Turco-Mongol tribe who lived in the lands north of the Great Wall of China and conquered much of Central Asia, uh, the steppes, in the 3rd to 1st centuries BC. So when Mulan itself takes place is a little slippery. But I bring this up in regards to our conversation of femininity and everything. Because cross-dressing is actually something that is medieval. Yeah. It's not a new phenomenon that has emerged because of the patriarchal, heteronormative identity that has emerged in the, you know, yeah. recent It, it, it is interesting, isn't it? The Getty had an exhibition called Transgender Lives in the Middle Ages through Art, Literature, and Medicine. And so in their discussion of transgender lives, they also talk about cross-dressing. For the saints' lives that are quote-unquote transgender, almost exclusively female uh, records of this, and so Mulan falls into that, which I find quite interesting. That doesn't mean that there were not um, the inverse. It's just that the 32 or so stories that exist are women presenting as men, so monks, usually eunuchs. So effeminate men, if you will, ones who have been stripped of their manhood. But it just shows that this is something that was occurring. There is a fluidity to gender presentation. So the Getty exhibition is talking about the 5th to the 9th centuries, so 400s to 800s. So that's also, again, like early medieval. It's not at that cusp of the Renaissance or the emerging modernity. I mean, this is older. (laughs) And I think that's really important to be, you know, just aware of that. And also apparently in my research, there are other female heroines in Chinese tradition that present as male and bring honor by doing that. But then their identity as female is um, revealed at some point and it does not strip them of their honor. No, it's as if yourself. Right. It doesn't really matter who you are and what you are. Which I think is something in Mulan is a little problematic. When Shang finds out that Mulan is a woman, and I understand if it's like the trust thing, that there might be a sense of betrayal. But in the movie, they present it much more as, oh, she's a woman, like abandon her, leave yeah. her. And also I found it kind of weird how they were like, oh, now that she's a woman, 
there's no point in listening to what she has to say. And I thought like, but you were listening to her five seconds. Maybe they were trying to show, you know, how ridiculous it is. I don't know. Because it was just, it just seemed like very, you know, like ipso facto, it's one way, then it's the other way, mm-hmm. the opposite way, as if it's logical. When Mulan actually like says that, she goes to Shang and she's like, you trusted me as Ping. Why do you not trust me now? Yeah. Especially after she uses her wit and ingenuity to take their last uh, rocket or bomb cannon and causes the avalanche. It almost kills them. But I mean, taking out the the quote-unquote villain, so Sean Yu. So, you know, the idea of what doing what is necessary to overcome yeah. the evil. Which, Sean Yu, let's talk about Sean Yu because... Yeah. I found it interesting that they had an eagle. You know, I, I kind of, was it an eagle? It was an eagle. It was eagle. a falcon. A falcon. Well, I still found it kind of interesting. There is this, like, I don't, I don't really associate that bird with ideas of evil. Well, isn't, like, hawking and falconing a medieval, uh, or not medieval, a Mongolian mm, tradition? Yes, I think it is. I think it is, you're right. Like, there was that really brilliant documentary that came out a year or two ago about, she's, like, 13, and she's a falconer or hawker. Um, and she's from, I believe, like Mongolia. Right. Well, so perhaps details for that, I will definitely give that a watch. It sounds interesting. Well, then in Disney, also birds of prey are portrayed as evil. So Maleficent had Diablo, her raven. But ravens are kind of seen badly, like it's right due to mythology. Yeah, I didn't know this about falcons, so. It makes more sense now because I, I was a bit confused because I often I've always associated them with freedom because they're very you know majestic in how they go around and do whatever they want and you know they go up and then they go down and that kind of thing so I've always right. associated them kind of differently and so to me it was strange to see them in this context that's so fair and also if you thought it was an eagle that's also just a different symbol yeah, different, so yeah. I was also thinking as I was watching this of Janina when she was talking about how Maleficent was the first like non-human yeah. villain. So there are a lot of parallels between Sleeping Beauty and Mulan. Like there's yeah. actually quite a lot. And they actually jokingly call her like uh, Mushu calls her Sleeping Beauty when the first yeah. day of camp he wakes her up. But Sean Yu does not look human. No, he looks very othered. He has like fangs. Yeah, he's so tall. Like, how is he that tall? I mean, he's other. He's other than human. He's like superhuman. Yeah, and I also thought, you know, how in that scene, I thought it was kind of weirdly like it made violence look banal, because you know how in that scene where they um, at the towards the end where um, there are the people in the fireworks tower and she tells them to move and they jump off. But realistically, you know that these people are dead now and it's, you know, seen as a positive thing. And it was just like, ooh. I mean, I think that's part yeah. of the kind of comedic tradition of people like jumping out of buildings and all that. Yeah. They're kind of like, yeah. But so Mulan. So I was thinking about this as well, because I mean, the avalanche scene, actually before the avalanche scene, when they approach the Alpine village that we know Sean Yu and the Huns have decimated after finding the doll and they're like oh we have to go here okay so that scene is so intense it is like the burned out town there's no trace of a human being anywhere 
Yeah. And then they briefly kind of show where the war battle scene was. But and not you, even the bodies. Is. You can see silhouettes of, like, armor. Yeah. But then, like, Shang gets his father's helmet. Yeah, and, you know, so. as a child, I was like, oh, this is sad. But holy shit! again like reading about Mulan and everything because it's a Disney film there are so many facts because people are just obsessed with Disney so it was quite helpful in the research but Mulan is like significantly by far the most like violent or has in regards to having the highest body count so this is like a little tidbit I read on IMDB in the trivia section but I will take this at face value you know um so it says the production team had drawn 2,000 Hun soldiers during the Hun's attack sequence, along with 2,000 horses. Only six Hun survived the avalanche, and only one of them, Shan Yu, is actually killed later. Yeah. This makes Mulan's final body count to 3,994. What? It says Shan Yu is killed by Mushu, not Mulan, which is actually, when you think about it, quite important because she maintains that like idea of purity because even though she caused the avalanche it's yeah it was a kind of like self-defense right it's not seen as like a massacre on her behalf even though she did kill thousands of men in her action but yet self-defense um and then uh, aside from Khan Mulan's horse not a single horse survives in the film yeah and then I was also thinking so when Mulan gets injured and she takes her hand away and it's covered in blood I was like, I think this is the first time that a Disney film shows blood. No, in Sleeping Beauty, there's one droplet of blood. Yeah, but I mean, like... Actually, yeah. wise Yeah, it's true. So that was very... Not jarring, but I was very much like, wow, that is... Yeah, it's really, it's really not what you'd expect. Continuing our uh, conversation about cross-dressing, mm-hmm. when... The men finally regain Mulan, or Mulan finally regains the men's trust. And then they yeah. cross dress. Yeah. And, you know, dress as women. And I mean, though that was kind of, you know, done comedically, I mean, you have like Yao, you know, Yao, King of the Rock, the really hyper masculine man, and then uh, Chao Po and Ling. But like, that is, you don't see that in like children's films. Per se. I mean, maybe Bugs Bunny dresses like a woman occasionally to like befuddle Elmer Fudd or something, but which I know that's not Disney, but I'm just talking about kind of cartoons in as general. a whole. Mm. But there is something about them presenting themselves as women to trick the Huns that are guarding the door. And the one is like totally into it, which yeah. I mean, that's like a slight gesture, I think, to the complex gender sexuality identification, right? Because, I mean, Yao literally has a beard. So even though his face is painted, like, he looks like a man cross-dressing as a woman. So perhaps dressed up as, like, drag, right? And the one Han is, like, making kissy faces and everything. And, I mean, it's a moment of comedy. But I was also like, you go, Disney. Like, as an adult watching this, I was kind of like, oh, it's nice. Yeah. And then and what, they kick all the Huns' asses after that, which you're just like... Yeah, and I was just... I, I quite like the scene where they climb up with their... Um, were they shawls or... Yeah, shawls or scarves or something. Cool. I was like, yeah, good for you. Look at how you can make this work for everyone. Right. Also, when they, like, pan up 
as them climbing up and Mulan is significantly further ahead of them. I was kind of like, yeah, bitch, you, you show them. (laughs) And it's interesting as well how like at the beginning, it seems like it's not going to really be easy for her to do these things and like how she's significantly less agile than everyone else. And then Mm -hmm. towards the end, she becomes this badass who can do everything. Right. And yeah, I love that it's because she is, creative and what sets her apart from the traditional feminine roles Mm. for the patriarchal system is actually what makes her who she is and makes her a successful strategist, a successful warrior. And that's not linked necessarily to masculinity. It's just linked to thinking a certain way and uh, participating in the world a certain way. Mm. And so I really, really enjoyed that. No, it's true. It was very good. One thing, and I'm curious, Elo, about this, is growing up, you know, Mulan, and even in what I've been reading, Mulan is discussed as a princess. Yeah, I find that kind of weird. Also, I was going to say, like, the endings, from what I'm, from my brief research, the ending Mm -hmm. of Mulan is actually that she refuses to be, you know, awarded all of these things, and she takes refuge and goes home. Mm Mm-hmm. And you see that happening and then, you know, she leaves and everyone, you know, thanks her and all that. And then she gets home and apologizes to her father. And I thought it was kind of, you know, I thought it was a bit far-fetched that the prince then comes um, to her, re- like comes to ask her hand in marriage. Because mm-hmm. I was just like, there was no need. This could have perfectly ended with her not getting married. There was no right. need for this. And so... I thought that like that and the fact that she's considered a princess, although maybe it makes her more accessible to girls who want to be princesses, you know, it teaches better values or whatever, but I don't know. I don't really. So Mulan, like a lot of folk tales has numerous different endings. So there is that one. There is one in all of them. She returns home and in all of them, she refuses it. In some, she accepts certain accolades, but refuses to like ones or stay in the yeah, positions of power. So in the traditional story, she's gone for 10 to 12 years. And in this, she's gone for like a month. I don't know how long it is. I was really confused by the end with the blossoming uh, cherry blossoms. And if that just meant she was gone for a couple weeks, or yeah. if it was like the next year and they were blooming... Yeah, it's not very clear, is it? To make more sense to me, but it being like a year, but I mean, who knows? Yeah, no, because I mean, if you think about how long it takes to actually get trained. Right. But this is also like a a children's family, yeah. yeah. But in other versions, she returns home and has successfully hidden her you know, identity as a woman. And then her fellow soldiers come looking for her, so him, uh, to like say thank you and all that. And then they discovered that Mulan was a woman. Others, she does fall for the male general, so the Shang character. And when he discovers that she's a woman, he gains more respect for her. And then they do like end up together. But there's none of this shaming shit that happens. Right, no, there's none of that. And also this is just the typical kind of fairy tale happy ending. I do think that it's better than, you know, uh, Sleeping Beauty or Snow White, where the prince just kind of comes and kisses the girl, and it's like, ta-da, let's get married. Or even Cinderella, yeah, where he's true. like, 
I found the girl who fit the shoe that I danced with briefly. Now I will marry her. Yeah, as if that's so logical. Right. Which fun fact we discovered on our research. So this is um, from, we, got, we learned this from medievalist.net in an article by historian uh, Catherine Walton. But Cinderella, the, actually from a Chinese folktale. Yeah, how cool is that? So this is interesting because in my mind, it was 17th century, you know, in the 17th century, how there were all of those folktales that were written down by Perot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There is a version of Cinderella. And to me, that was where it started. But obviously with folktales, you don't know where it comes from. It could come from anywhere. And it, you know, it's so interesting to find like how these things are connected and how actually your vision, everything that you've built your knowledge on is actually kind of incorrect. Right. So this gestures towards like cultural exchange. Yeah. Rather than appropriation, though it then becomes highly westernized and then forgotten. So that's a problem. Yeah. yeah. But during this time, I mean, we had the Silk Road that was connecting the Middle East and Eastern Europe to uh, like India and that then connected to Central and Eastern Asia. There's that, first of all. So there's a, we already know that there's like a form of exchange occurring, but the original Cinderella. Or as Walton says, perhaps we should call it what it is, which is uh, Ye Xian. So Y-E-H hyphen H-S-I-E-N. I apologize once again if my pronunciations are bad. Doing my, my best. I mean, to be honest, how, if you haven't studied Chinese, how would you know this? Um, <laughs> but the Chinese iteration is neither European nor aristocratic. Uh, the tale doesn't ha- deal with glass slippers, though it does deal with like a, I think it's a silk slipper that is lost. It doesn't have like a passive princess who's kind of the like wave, oh, woe is me, fairy godmother. But it's a tale about how a dis- disobedient but ambitious and creative young uh, woman overcomes her bad circumstances and then uses that to her advantage. So a lot of research has been done on kind of the origins of the Chinese folktale mm-hmm. because as we know, folk tales, by the time that they're written down, they've been around for a while. Yeah. It could be anywhere from decades to centuries. The original story, or one of them, is that Ye Tsien is, again, she has like the evil, violent, whatever, stepmother or mother figure and siblings that treat her poorly. But she has um, a fish that she like loves and takes care of and, you know, kind of raises it from a little like goldfish shape. I believe it's a koi fish. Mm. A koi fish or a carp. And as it grows, she puts it in the, the pond in the back garden and continues feeding her fish. She loves her fish so much. And the fish grows to be huge, like 10 feet, like this giant fish. And the mother figure, seeing her devotion and love for this creature, uh, one day while Yesian is out doing chores, oh the mother kills yeah. and eats the fish and then buries the bones in the backyard. Mean. Ha- and so when Yesian discovers that her fish is missing, she is distraught. She is heartbroken. She is understandably, like, ruined. This old man with a long beard comes from the sky and tells her where the bones are. And he says, if you take the bones into your room and treat them with respect, they will grant any, like, wish that you have. This is a bit of a distorted hagiography, kind of. Kind of, yeah. So also kind of makes me think of, you know, the genie and the lamp, but that's only three wishes. But so she takes these bones into her her room and, you know, pays respect to them. And she asks for, 
you know, jade, pearls, fine outfits, and all of this, you know, uses to her advantage. And so one day there's like a festival going on and the mother and sister go and they're like, you can't come. Yes, Yen, you're not allowed. So this again is like Cinderella and the ball. So while they're gone, Yes, Yen's like, fuck that, basically, (laughs) and puts on her finest outfit and goes to the festival. And she's kind of like the belle of the ball, if you will. Everyone is just amazed by her. her riches and everything. She's discovered by the mother and the sister. She like runs away and in doing so leaves a slipper behind. This slipper is gathered up and taken from the festival and sold in another province. A person in power there is like, I love this slipper. Who did this belong to? Then begins the quest searching for the girl who belongs to the slipper. When he gets to the town that Yesian lives in, she emerges in her finery and goes, this is my slipper. And she tells him about the fish bones. And he is like, I want you to come back with me. He makes her like the premier wife. So you can have numerous wives in this old tradition, apparently. And she goes and brings, like, great riches and power to this province. However, the, like, emperor ruler of the province abuses the fish bones and they stop working. So it also has a story of greed. And that's kind of how it ends. And it's interesting that there's this correlation between the fish bones and greed because, I mean, especially, right, you know, in this new consumer society food Mm -hmm. is kind of like us we are very greedy with food and there's this kind of correlation that's interesting I think maybe something to explore yeah definitely yeah also just the kind of I don't want to say primal because that's like a bad term but the I mean fish bones are used around the world as a form of kind of sorcery or fortune telling and has been for millennia And so this, I think, also just kind of gestures to how old this folktale is, if that is, like, the practice that is being used to bring about good fortune. Yeah. So I just, I loved that, because I I honestly didn't know about... No, I didn't either. This is an interesting story. Yeah, origin story. Um, And radically different than... You know, yeah, the ones Cinderella that we, yeah, that no, we think of. To do it all again, maybe I'd study Chinese. Yeah. This has definitely, for me, like inspired me so much to want to learn um, yeah. more. Also, because reading about Mulan in regards to like my dissertation for my PhD and everything, I was like, she has to come into this. Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be very cool. Because she is literally like, a successful warrior and the idea of not dealing with the rules and limitations of the patriarchy because you know mm-hmm. in the other origins or the other stories of Mulan she either has brothers that are too young so like younger brothers little brothers which that's like a joke in the Disney film because her dog little brother is kind of like oh it's still a little brother other she's the only daughter yeah so I didn't remember this like there's I mean there is like the nurturing element you know of like protecting the family but it's also like a protection masculine identified you know thing all of them those in power like no women cannot yeah go to war Mulan legend is like "Uh uh-uh I can do this and like kicks fucking ass and there's actually a form of tai chi now based off Wamulan really Mm mm-hmm 
And the um, when in the Disney film, Mulan's father is like preparing to go to battle and we first see the, the armor and he has the sword. He's actually practicing Mulan Hua Jaquan martial art, Tai Chi. Mm. So Tai Chi is the foundation of this martial art. A near extinct Wugong, Hua Kung Fu, Qigong, and Chinese folk dance. And during the Tang Dynasty, Mulan Hua Jaquan was employed by the Imperial Palace as an exclusive art. After the revival of the rare style in 1949, it absorbed the spirit from Tai Chi and blended ballet and wushu. Wow, cool. But the style originally originated as the Hua family fighting system. And the name Mulan was bestowed in honor of Hua Mulan, or the Magnolia Flower, which is our legend that we're talking about today. I just love that. Like, also, I was learning so much about the different forms of martial art. There are so many. Yeah, I really, I mean, I, I started doing some yoga and I know it's not the same thing, but I've been thinking about how like these different types of exercise, which, you know, actually emphasize more the relationship between mind and body, which mm-hmm. is something that as a society, I mean, our generation, maybe our generation, I don't know, but we don't really think about this. We don't really think about, now we've got a whole spiel about how like exercise makes you feel good, mm-hmm. but it's not like and the exercise for the soul. And it's, it's so interesting when you have forms of exercise or forms of movement that, you know, are based on that. And it's something that we shouldn't lose, really. It's something that we should keep doing and so I've been thinking about all the different types of martial arts and and things like that and how Mm -hmm. that must be so interesting and it must teach you you know old lessons in a way right and so much about like presence and being present in your lived moment and I do agree with you I think that that is something that is so important for today where we are constantly plugged in especially because of this pandemic where you communicate via zoom or Facebook chats or whatever platform you use, you get so absorbed into constantly being on the computer, on your phone, which I'm guilty of. And not just because currently writing a master's dissertation. Like I constantly find myself magnetized to my phone. I've actually had to set limits on my apps because, which is so sad, but because I just mindlessly find myself doing that. And I've also been trying to set like a ritual where each night, before bed, I read for at least a half hour out of a paper book and I silence my phone so that I'm not distracted by anything. Um, Though I currently am reading a book by Umberto Eco, The Prague Cemetery. And he uses so many different like historic references. So I am constantly on my phone Googling something because I don't know what it is that he's talking about. (laughs) But I feel like that's different because that's not just like scrolling through Instagram. No, Instagram is the worst. But it's kind of a form for me of trying to be like present and out of the technosphere. Yeah, no, it's true. Also, I find myself so drained. Like if I spend too long on a a laptop or on my phone, I just can't do anything. Yeah, I completely agree. Thankfully, the weather in London has not been as windy. We had those crazy storms, nor as wet. So it's like nice Mm -hmm. to go outside for walks. Yeah. And get fresh air, whatever fresh air you can get here. <laughs> Conversation. I hope yeah. Have enjoyed. Yeah, hopefully you've learned something. And again, apologies if any pronunciations or misinterpretations of anything. Try to be as aware and informed as possible. 
But mm-hmm. if we've made a mistake, please, please contact us on one of our social yeah. media or other contact information, which, yeah. and, or if you'd want to come on and talk about this, I mean, yes. if you have, if you know much more than us, which probably might, we'd really love to have a conversation with you about it. Yes, definitely. Recorded or not. Like if you don't want to, but you still want to like zoom with us, but not be recorded. We are so totally open to that. And um, one final thing before we, you know, run through how you can contact us and tell us about that. As you can tell this week, this episode came out a little late due to life and next week's will be coming out a little late as well as I, Megan, will be going to the Isle of Skies so about fresh air to decompress and be in nature and also just see some friends. So, and then after the episode next week, we are going to be taking a break. We will inform you on all the platforms, but we have our MA dissertation due September 21st that we will be in panic mode crunch time. (laughs) So for a little while, we say goodbye, but we will be back. We promise. Yeah. So Elo, you want to run us through? Yes. All right. So you can find us on Facebook um, by typing. We have a page in the group and feel free to join the group if you want or follow the page to have more information. You just type modern medieval the podcast you can listen to this and but i mean if you're listening to this you know you can find us on spotify or apple podcast just by typing modern medieval podcast you can find us on instagram by typing podcast.modern.medieval you can email us on modern.medieval.podcast at gmail.com and the twitter sphere is megan's domain so i will let her do that yes so you can find us on twitter at medieval underscore modern And then a new side project that we have introduced uh, because I have been procrastinating on my dissertation. So I have started us a YouTube page that is our podcasts with visuals. So they're literally (laughs) just images where we talk over it. But if you wanted to have like a visual gesture to something while we're talking, uh, you can find us on our YouTube channel at Modern Medieval, the podcast. So hopefully we're a little behind on getting those because they take 800 million years to upload onto YouTube. But please check that out, share it, whatnot. And until next time, I'm Megan. And I'm Elo. And this is Modern Medieval, the podcast.